Welcome back to For Fintech's Sake. I'm Zach Anderson Pettit, U.S. Content Director at Money 2020 and your unqualified host. My very special guest this week is a human that I consider myself lucky to call a friend, Lee Taylor, CFO at OnlyFans. I actually didn't know much of Lee's background leading into this conversation, or at least as much as I thought. You think you know someone, you know? You think you know someone. Turns out there are layers to this human that I did not realize at all. We cover a lot of ground. If you want to jump to a specific piece of the conversation, take a gander at the show notes. We've recently started breaking down the show by topic in the notes so you can hop into specific subject areas if you're just dying to get there. One quick thing, I misattributed the thousand true fans concept to Paul Graham when it was actually Kevin Kelly. I realized it when I was sleeping a few nights ago. I had been sick this whole week, so bear with my brain uh, in this conversation, but I think that's the only, only moment of misattribution that I can remember and think of. And now my conversation with Mr. Lee. Like I would say it's weird that we're friends now, considering the our first interaction. Yeah, you said about that and how I was kind of you were, you were a little standoffish. Like, I, I didn't little, want to talk to you. Or, or well, it something. wasn't that you didn't want to talk to me. It was more a matter of, like, I feel like you were just, you know, feeling it out. Feeling out the situation. And also, it was kind of one of the, before Money 2020 Europe, how, I mean, I don't know if you had been on the public speaking circuit necessarily. So I think that was, like, kind of uh, maybe a little outside of your comfort zone in terms of things you wanted to be doing, maybe. I think it's a new concept. Um, you know, I think I've probably done more subject matter things publicly, but in terms of kind of getting out on stage in front of, you know, you, you know more than me, how many people were there? It was a, yeah, it was a new yeah. experience for sure. Over so. a thousand is a, is a unit, the, the thousand number. Yeah, it's a big, um, or big, big for us at that time. And uh, yeah, so that initial kind of scoping out call, you know, we, when you first got introduced to the concept, I think it was Gina that reached out to us. Yeah. It was, you You have that initial, that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, just because of like speaking about things, but like just, just the potential for downside, basically. I think so. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, we, and yeah, we'll, we'll dive into this, I'm sure. Um, you know, one of the main things we set last year when we all kind of took over our roles in the exec was we need to get out there and change the narrative. So. Yeah. The initial knee-jerk reaction was, this seems maybe not the best idea, but then when you think about it and you had, you know, C-level executives from all of the big players in the fintech space, well, I'd love to talk to these people. Um, and if I have to do it on stage to get them to listen, then fine, great, let's let's do it. But yeah, was a, there was a, a certain, uh, it's not something I'd done before. Yeah. So do you think... Do you think that whole experience or like you're, excuse me, we're having coffees and I'm recovering from being dead. So I'm just going to try to burp as quietly as I can while we have the conversation. Um, (laughs) Do you, you guys made so much progress in that first time that we met in Amsterdam. And it seems like just an unbelievable amount of progress since then in terms of like your relationships with financial institutions and everything else. Do you think that being on stage led to like the speed of that? Or do you think you could have like, had you just taken the meetings, would it have kind of shaken out the same way? Do you think like being on stage mattered? I had never really thought about it until this moment as to what the outcome actually was based on that. 
it's hard to play it back. Like yeah. if this hadn't have happened, sure. would, would we be here? But my personal view is it challenged a lot of people's perceptions because everyone knows OnlyFans now. It's mm-hmm. a it's a great gift that we've got. You know, the clickbait nature of the name, the yeah. number of media mentions we have is, you know, unparalleled or you know, just crazy to think about. And but what that comes with is everyone has locked away in their head that natural bias of, oh, okay, OnlyFans, this is what I think of it. And what I think was really impactful last year was getting out into the conferences that people wouldn't expect us to be at. So obviously mm-hmm. with yourself at Money 2020, in front of the, you know, the, the main players in the financial space to talk about you know, the volumes we process, how we do it safely, anti-money laundering, KYC, all of those key topics that are in banking day-to-day anyway but showing how we're applying it to our business, but also, you know, in the safety space, mm-hmm. um, working with NGOs. And this this is how we are striving to be the safest social media platform and and having that kind of target that people wouldn't necessarily assume that, that we have. Um, I think that broke down a lot of barriers because people then become intrigued. And with the uh, with that kind of well-known brand, it means that when you are said to be showing up at these events, it normally garners a, a fair amount of interest. Um, I know Amy, our CEO, was at you know, Slush and, and a few, you know, yeah, Amy's doing the circuit. And, yeah, you know, when when her name is up for for being on stage, you know, she gets, she gets an audience. Yeah, um, you know, and, and voted you know in GQ and, and Time. Um, so yeah, it's we've got the brand to garner the interest to have the audience to put our message out there. I think it's just people are surprised by the message and need to understand it a bit more. So we're never going to solve it on, on day one It's lots of little things. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it feels like the, it feels like that corner has been turned though. Like I, I, most of the only fans content that I run into on an Instagram or, you know, like most of the like kind of, onboarding right most of like the the discovery that i see is the like move you uh is a thing that i used to do as like a gymnastics bodies type of thing where it was basically like a physical therapy group that that would do like very unique videos to help you try and like fix your thoracic spine or whatever and they've taken it very neat well it's actually it's fucking been great for me but it's weird they really there's no reason to have to have it on any specific platform or any specific place, but because of the brand that's been developed and because of how the brand has taken on, has, you know, the previous meaning, but has also taken on this new meaning. Mm. It's almost like, it's just funny that they're on there in the way that they are. It's not adult content. It's not anything of the sort, but like when he's, you know, when the main guy is like pointing out the way to get a glute to fire, it's, it's a glute, you know, it's like, that's a butt right there. And it's probably not something that you could just put out on YouTube, but it is something you could put on Twitter in the current space. And it's just a bizarre, it's, it's really interesting how the brands developed, even just like having your guys's brand on race cars. Now I saw that on Amy's Instagram the other day, like yeah. this things like that a few years ago, probably would not have been things that those organizations would have wanted to pair themselves with even. I think it comes down to the use cases, doesn't it? Yeah. Again, like, there's a huge area we can um, we can dive into. It's you know, OnlyFans is not just for one thing. Right. It's a social media monetization tool. Creators currently or influencers, if you want to draw that 
line distinction between creators and influencers. You know. Do you? In, well, I think the lines are blurred between. I think it's kind of catch words. So in the 2010s, 2000s, influencer, everyone wanted to be an influencer, right. influencer this. And the word creator, I don't think was was widely used. And and now, you know, the the term creator economy has kind of been minted and that's now the the buzzword, especially in the fintech space. You know, yeah. you see more of money 2020 than I do, but you know, that's a that's a a well used term. I think everyone has their own definitions for us or for me. You know, the influencer is your traditional advertising revenue model. The rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it but it really is the kind of the 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 pathway of, okay, I'm gonna get a social media following, I'm gonna get X amount of subscribers followers, and then I'm gonna talk to an ad agency and wear their t-shirt or drink their drink. Right. And and that's where my my money's gonna come from. And I think that will always exist because you know, companies realize that people connect with online influencers much more now than they do to movie stars or sports stars that they yeah. did back in the day. So I think that is always a good earning source for creators or influencers, sorry. But that kind of creator designation in my head is then if you're monetizing direct to your fan base, connecting to your fan base, mm-hmm. creating for your fan base. And I think where I draw the line is if you're earning for an advertiser, then is it truly your content? Right. Is it you know authentically you that yeah. you're putting out there or are you doing it because the brand needs to see something, um, you know, like Klarna with their smooth thing and the mm-hmm. smooth dog and bits. It's it's led by the advertiser. Whereas I think with OnlyFans, because it's it's your safe space, it's your free area to create your content, how you feel empowered to create it in whatever genre it is, and then monetize it direct to the fan. I feel like that's more creative and therefore links to that creator kind of designation a bit more yeah but both i think both have a place but it's you know is a creator limiting themselves or an influencer limiting themselves or limiting their earnings um by just going down one model as opposed to both is yeah is a is a good question we like to ask influencer also just feels gross to me now it's kind of just because it feels old and I, no, not no, trendy enough. I, I, have, I have nothing against the elderly. Like, I have nothing against the elderly. <laughs> Thank you. I have nothing against the elderly or the elderly. It's it's full of good jokes today, folks. <laughs> Lee or, Lee wanted a white americano on the way over, and I told him that I was the white americano on the way. So I'm just you know recovering from a sickness and full of just absolute hilarity. We started strong. <laughs> we started really <laughs> strong. Um, but no, it's it's not it's not the age of the term. It's I think it's this idea of people, this idea of people, the kind of like you said, selling, selling their soul for something they don't actually give a shit about, right? Like whatever you say about Rogan as an example, right? Man drives me absolutely fucking insane when it comes to certain things, but I know that he uses a Traeger grill and I'm with him on that. And like when it comes to smoking meats, we can agree. You know, yeah. what, what were you about to say? You were about to say something about smoking meats. You got really excited when I said smoking meats. It was more the time smoking. Oh, <laughs> well, we have that in common too. The listener base knows it's okay. Uh, yeah, we have that in common too. Did you ever read or do you know the uh, Thousand True Fans blog post from Paul Graham? No, not familiar. Do you know who Paul Graham is at all? So he's the 
he's the founder or one of the founders. Uh, I think the other woman's named Jessica Livingston, if I remember correctly, of Y Combinator. So before Sam Altman took over and now before it's like what YC is now, it was Paul Graham and Jessica and like, you know, two sticks to rub together to try and create fire. And they did create fire. But one of the things that he wrote way back when was this idea that with a thousand true fans, you can kind of, if you have a thousand true fans, then the world is your oyster sort of thing. But you just truly have to get true fans. And I'm still... So it's that traction point. It's that traction point. Yeah. And it's like with that, you can like rule the world sort of a thing, or at least make not rule the world, but make enough of a living for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think when he wrote that, it wasn't true yet because the platform didn't exist to make it true. Right. And I think, you know, the Silicon Valley version is like think boys writing on Substack or whatever. But for me, it's it's the after now getting my own only fans like actually experiencing not that i've posted much of shit but just it's a fascinating experience to go through it feels like the embodiment of that idea and of that blog post and i mean it's taken on the thousand true fans thing has taken on its own kind of whole life since then um but it's it's interesting because it doesn't seem as though i don't know i mean the the term influencer I don't think I'd ever be a fan of an influencer, but I'd be a fan of a creator. There's something, I don't know, there's something kind of philosophical about that to me. Well, yeah, I think you can unpack that because if you're a fan of an influencer, then essentially you're just a fan of the brand. Right. That the influencer is, like, if you if you take my definition or, or split between what's an influencer, what's a creator, a creator is giving you what's authentically themselves and an influencer is kind of, helping uh, a brand push their their product which you know we're not saying that's a bad thing but i think you you know traeger grills for example mm-hmm. if joe rogan was the influencer that was pushing traeger grills then okay you, you can connect with that um opinion of joe rogan's but you're a fan of traeger grills whereas if he was putting out content creating yeah i don't know insert creative thing here um then you'd be a fan of his because that's his creativity. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like I'm a I'm a I'm a fan of his stand-up comedy in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but also I have been vaccinated. Right? There's two sides to every coin. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go all the way in. All right, let's go back to the beginning. So, Lee the man, the legend, where where did all this start? Like, where did the nerdiness come about? Where did where did this? Uh, Are you assuming there's nerdiness because I'm an accountant. Uh, we're assuming nerdiness because I am actually friends with you at this point and know you're a fucking nerd. Okay, <laughs> guilty as Jones. Exactly. Um, but t- tell me about your childhood because I actually don't I don't know much about it. And we'll catch back up today and we'll talk more about OnlyFans and everything. But have you? I take it from England in general, but I don't know what part. Give me that background. Yeah, so I grew up in the UK, a uh, small town uh, in a county just outside London. So the town's called Braintree. Very it's called Braintree? Braintree, yep. Fuck off. Not, not the payment gateway. Fuck off. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's so funny. It's <laughs> the most on-brand shit I've ever heard by maybe, accident. That's maybe it's meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> it was right next to the county of PayPal. Yeah, I was going to say, do you know, yeah. you know my last name's actually PayPal. Right, yeah, exactly. Um yeah, so, so grew up there, very kind of you know, nothing too special. It was um, 
What were you into? Like you play sports? Were you, uh, you know, pl- running around with an abacus doing doing math on other people's <laughs> behalf? Like what, what were we doing at that, that point? That was a favorite pastime. Um, <laughs> I, you know, always been relatively sporty, kind of soccer, as you'd call it, football from, from a young age and then uh, kind of transitioned into martial arts, which has kind of been a, a big basis. Um, for We've a lot never of discussed things. that. We can we can dive in if you want. Well, tell me what, yeah. When, I mean, when did you start and what what, what martial arts? So I started at um, fifteen. Um, I was in uh, like a young um, army training programs in the UK. It's called like the cadets. So you, know, you can start from thirteen, and uh, you go get to go away and train with you know, parachute regiment. Wow, because we went away with. So that was one of that was going to be one of the the career ideas was was the army at one point um and i imagine if you're starting at 13 and going off and doing some training it's not i'm going to end well not that there's anything wrong with being an infantryman but it sounds like that's a special forces kind of direction sounds like you're moving into whatever your version of the navy seals or something is if you're starting that early maybe i don't i don't know necessarily i think it's just kind of introducing young kids to the concept and the discipline and, mm. and that side and and given the experience of going away and, and training with these people was was really good but i met someone there who who did martial arts and you know raved and uh was a big fan of it so just uh checked out a local club that was actually starting a couple of weeks afterwards so i was 15 and yeah i, I just kind of bought into it um i loved the the discipline the I think this is where I learned that the correlation between results and hard work. Mm. So you could train once a week and progress at one certain speed. You could train twice a week, and and I, I guess there was a kind of addiction to the progressing and succeeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it taught that well, it's just effort and hard work, and that had kind of been a theme in in my growing up, but more on, on terms of like the value for money side of things. It was very much a Sorry, taking out the, the microphone. Now. You're good. Jo- Johnny, the producer, will be very upset afterwards. But other than that, I'm not going to fight you. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a big table. With <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jump across and just get to it. Um, yeah. So like the, the theme of uh, that kind of value for money, hard work in my family was uh, in kind of manufacturing areas, uh, which kind of led to some career paths I took. Um but it was very much, you know, you get a paper round. I don't know if that equates in, in the US, you know, like yeah. deliver the papers. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, not so much anymore, but yeah. 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 I think like about 11 years old, I think, or and before that, like washing my dad's car at the weekend. And, yeah. You know, if there was a slight kind of imperfection in it, some money being docked off the pay. That, so that was always a kind of theme. Um, so that kind of set the, the value for money, hard work, but then the, the discipline side of the martial arts and that kind of addiction to growth through mm-hmm. just working hard uh, came through. So yeah, that was kind of the, the themes of the childhood. What what kind of martial arts at that point? Just like karate or are we talking like a varied group of <clears throat> different kinds, jujitsu? Where, where are we going? Similar. So it's Taekwondo, um, which is a, a similar kind of style to karate. It's not the, um, I always feel like I need to explain this bit. It's not the, the Taekwondo you see in the Olympics, which is more the kind of sports side. Um, it's a more traditional side which makes it more akin to kind of karate or, or kind of kickboxing um yeah it just started out at 15 and and do you mean not it. the not the olympic way as in not sparring kind of not hand to no still still sparring okay. um in fact 
So it's not it's not martial arts dance is what you're telling me. It's martial arts. Yeah, that was one of the things that drove me the most fucking insane about the last Olympics was like I was starting to get into martial arts. Oh, you had the katas or the karate. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. The, it was the yeah. Is that what it was called? The katas? I, yeah, in karate they called it katas. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was struggling to understand why anyone was winning and why anyone was losing. It's very subjective. Yeah, like you say, then it becomes more akin to a dance. I think. There's always going to be those elements in a martial art because there's the technique and the um, the perfection of, of of the moves. But like you say, the sparring is, is very different and very more binary when it comes to who, yeah. who's won that and who hasn't won that. Yeah. I think if you're not uh, an expert in that specific martial art or even in that specific kata that they're doing, it's so hard to tell if if they've won or lost. Right. So from a viewer's perspective, it's like, why, yeah. am I, why am I watching this? Yeah. So do you still have loose hips? Are you still like reverse kicking things just to open doors or what? How's this, how's this translated into current life? Uh, it, it translated into a uh, hip replacement last year. No shit? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Dude, you're well, so young. That's wild. Partial hip replacement. So they, um, a hip resurface. So they just take the top of the leg boat or take the top of the, the ball joint off and put a cap on and replace the hip socket. Holy so. shit. I was kidding. That's insane. No, yeah. We're, years of, um, years of wear and tear, but also I think, um, starting training at 15 at that age, kind of the need to warm up and cool down oh, yeah. and take care of your body is possibly, uh, a, you know, however many years ago that was, was less known, but also you didn't need to because you're young and flexible. But if you consistently train that way, especially through your twenties into mm-hmm. your early thirties, I think I, I started getting a niggle in my hip when I was about 24, 25 and just kind of ignored it and carried on, um, as, as I did. Uh, and then fast forward 10 years, uh, to the year before last where I couldn't walk at all. Um, you know, what? could barely walk my daughter half a mile to school. I was like, okay, maybe it's time Dude, to, to get this wild. looked at. And were you still like training leading up to that or? As much as I could. So oh, you fucking crazy person. Of course you were. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of tapered off a little bit. Um, you know, I had, had kids, um, four or five years ago, my daughter's five. Um, so the kind of the time you have to commit to that and obviously with work getting busier and busier. Yeah. Um, it'd always been busy, but you know, the, the, the combination of the two, um, I was training less and less. So it wasn't five times a week. It was twice a week. And yeah. there was enough time to kind of for the hip to recover in between. And then I think I did one training session or maybe I'd gone to the gym and what would normally be an ache the next day didn't go away. And, was like, and then three months passed and I couldn't walk still. I was like, okay, I should probably get this checked out and, and went to the doctors and they uh, were quite surprised to find I had no cartilage at all in my hip. That's um, wild. So when I innocently said, you know, so how do we fix this? They're like, well, you need a whole new hip. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's insane. So you've had, so just to recap, you've had in the last five years, you've had a daughter, you've had a hip replacement, which is not something you hear a lot about parents that have, have a five-year-old daughter. Um, and also, I mean, OnlyFans has gone through, you've, how long have you, seven years? I forget. So OnlyFans has been going this, it will be seven years at the end of this year. So it's just over six yeah. years. And you've uh, been since almost the beginning or the beginning? Since 2019. Don't make me do math. I'm just so recovering like from my four, sickness. Four years this four year. Four years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's 2026, right? Um, I'm assessing you. And you're, you're <laughs> I'm failing every, every time you've attempted to, to assess me in our friendship, I failed. You know this. <laughs> you know this to be true. But yet we're still here. <laughs> here we are. So that's how you know it's friendship. So, Wow. 
that's quite a like that's that's quite a four years just in in life. It is. I don't think he's felt any more busy. I, I, maybe outside of work, obviously, you know, w- with my daughter um, and then my son two years ago, um, that definitely changes um, y- your whole your whole life. But I think work wise, I've always been super busy at work. So this has been the most impactful role I've been able to have, and I've always, through my career, kind of craved turning finance from that kind of bean counter perspective into a value add for a company hmm. and so i've i've worked in a lot of manufacturing companies leading finance teams growing finance teams that's kind of been my you know, once i left audit um once i qualified i wanted to get into business pretty quick i wanted to learn about business firsthand rather than in a textbook yeah uh, you know work with good people work with bad people see what works see what doesn't um learn from them build teams but there's always been that oh finances are overhead <laughs> and yeah. you know especially in manufacturing when you know it's it's such a focus in terms of monetary cost cash flow uh it's never going to be the most successful industry in that area so there's a lot of pressure on it and you always push to cut costs and you know, make people redundant and you know, which is one of the hardest things I've always tried to find a path in every company where it's, hey, we serve a purpose here. We're adding value. We're shaping the the, the face of business. And in some companies, that's just not possible. Yeah. You can help where possible, but it, you're never going to change the world. So with OnlyFans, it's that first company where I came in super early. I think I did check before this. I was the eighth employee of the business. And that's <laughs> including the three kind of founders yeah. uh, or the founding family. Um, there was no finance team. There were a few Excel spreadsheets, which had some numbers on them. And, you know, that was about it. So to, A, to build the finance team out was a great opportunity, but also the the fact that finance lives so strong in this business as part of the operation. Because if you look at OnlyFans... It's the backbone, man. Exactly. If you boil OnlyFans down into the processes that it has, yeah. it hosts content. You know, one of the key drivers, obviously, on that safety side, keeping the user safe, making sure it's the safest social media platform or striving towards that. But then on the other side, it's, it's paying people, right? You know, yeah. the, one of the big appeals of OnlyFans is controlling your content and monetizing it. As we said earlier, it's not putting your life on Instagram. You People put a lot of themselves online, yeah, especially when they're trying to build the following um, or connect with their fans over and above what they do on the influencer space, they're putting so much of themselves onto the internet and in some areas, in quite a lot of areas, setting themselves up for kind of, you know, online abuse or... You know, Weird shit as yeah. in general. Yeah. You're, you're putting a lot of yourself out there online yeah. for free. Yeah. You know, especially on some of the platforms where as soon as the content's on there is owned by the the platform rather than you, you yeah. lose complete control over it. So and most people don't even think about that dynamic. Exactly. So that's one of the key areas of the business is not only letting the creators keep control of their content, but also they're not giving it away for free. Like you said, you find your thousand true fans. Yeah. They would probably be willing to pay, you know, insert money here yeah. per month or for content to to connect with the people they truly, you know, are a fan of. Yeah. And I mean, 
so much of, I would think, the decisioning and what would have classically been a spreadsheet and, uh, you know, 80, 80 goes to us, 20 goes to them, 20 goes to us, 80 goes to them, whichever, you know, however that split works mm-hmm. out. I would imagine that this role makes that more real. Like you have the sense of kind of that that human that is actually being impacted at the end of the day is probably staring you at the face in the face a little bit more than in a manufacturing role or something like that. I would think probably a little more emotional. It's the through the process of building the teams, especially in the finance team. How big is the team now? Sorry, the the actual finance team. We've got twenty people. Okay, Um, so that's grown over wild four years. Um, but it's, and even just out into the wider teams as well, in, in any division that we have, having worked in the, you know, the manufacturing space or even, you know, in, in the technology space, a previous company, we designed and built from scratch a kind of workflow management software in the cloud, um, which again, you're building something from scratch. So people are invested mm-hmm. in, but this is the first company where the entire workforce feel emotionally invested in the product because it's very easy to see the difference it's making. Like you say, there's there's a person on the other end of that user ID that has earned a significant amount more than maybe they could have earned following other traditional influencer routes. And I think that's a real feel-good thing to know that you're kind of part of something that's making a genuine difference in the world. And especially as it relates to the safety aspect, which we very early on, maybe in the first meeting Amy Keeley and I had, is it's very quickly identified that this is what we have to do. This yeah. is what we have to be. You know, as a as a father of two young kids, one of them being a daughter, I mean online safety scares the hell out of me. Yeah. I interrupt this deeply informative conversation for a word from our friends and this season's sponsor, NeuroID, or a word from me on their behalf. So what is NeuroID? Think about NeuroID basically as bringing body language into the digital world. Someone fidgeting in their chair is like someone taking too long to fill out their social security number. Or maybe they're switching tabs like crazy. The digital world has tells the same way the real world does. And NeuroID is that person at the casino watching the monitors, making sure no nefarious business is going down. Blocking bad actors, fraud rings, and fighting financial crime is only one side of this double-sided coin. Clearly, it's fiat. <laughs> Bitcoin doesn't have two sides. See what I did there? All right, we're bringing some levity, folks. Folks, I can't talk, but the levity's there. The other side of the coin is decreasing false flags and increasing pull through in general. If you can dodge a wrench, then you can dodge a ball. If you can fight fraud, then you can increase pull through during the IDV process. That's what I've always said. Learn more at neuroid.com. So, this is something that, like, I I actually think that I parrot. I think the I I shouldn't say I parrot this talking point because I know that you all truly believe it. But like the safest social media platform is such a fucking good line that it sounds like a talking point, and I say it a lot on your behalf. But it is it's I I kind of want to unpack it a little bit because I had this moment I was having drinks with Amy in New York just catching up a few months ago. I have no sense of time. Six months ago. It was a while ago. I think you sent me a picture from that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I sent you a selfie or something. Um, and one of the more interesting, I mean, obviously it's Amy, so it was an interesting conversation, but one of the moments that I remember from that the most was how she took like this video as we were leaving. And I don't think she posted that video 
for like another six hours until she was at a completely different place. I think she might have been in a different city mm-hmm. at that point. That makes sense for Amy. Six yeah. hours she could be in a different well, city. Well, six hours in a different city. <laughs> it is Amy. So yes, probably. But it, I had this moment of like, because I was doing this, I was, we were standing next to each other, just doing the video of the same skyline together. And I was putting it directly on Instagram, right? I don't know. Like I, I hadn't given any second thought. Like it's just kind of how, how my brain works. I could give a fuck and, you know, come, come find me. I dare you kind of thing. So whatever. But then I thought about it and I was like, wait, why didn't she do that? And I asked her and she was like, what are you an idiot? Safety. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> no, she did. Like, of course, you're a female in a very specific situation with a very specific job. And at the end of the day, even if you weren't, it kind of makes sense to separate yourself from that location. And I mean, people are getting robbed for, you know, things like that. Like it, that made sense to me when you all talk about the safest social media platform. I mean, it seems like there's layers to it and it seems like a lot more than just making sure that there's not underage or anything like that. I mean, that's like a very table stakes thing. And having gone through your KYC, like ain't no way anybody's getting through that shit. So what what does it, I guess, what does it mean to you in a deeper level? Like, can you pull it apart? I don't know. It's a big question, but I'm curious about it from like a heart direction, like an emotional appeal thing. I think it acts as a North star mm. and you know, it used to be called a mission statement, I guess, back mm-hmm. in the day. If you go back 20 years, every business had to have a mission statement. Right. And I think my favourite one... And what happened was, to those? Um, yeah, it just kind of disappeared, right? <laughs> You're right. That's, nobody has one anymore. <laughs> Everyone had a, a short, sharp mission statement yeah. that the company was there for. I, mean, I think my favourite was... I, I may get this the wrong way around. I think I've got it the wrong way around. It was Fuji Films one. So the camera... Fuji. Oh, so, so one that's really had some staying power there, Lee. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> But there's two company names mentioned. So I think it was Fuji. Their mission statement was kill Kodak. Oh, wow. Because Kodak was such a big player yeah. in, in the photography right. space. Um, right. So that was their mission statement, you know, simply. Yeah, very yeah. positive. Very, very positive, <laughs> very independent. Um, so ours is not um, anything as... Uh, I mean, who would you kill? I mean, it's like... <laughs> It's like you guys got nobody to kill, so you're doing okay. But we opted against the violent option. Sure. Um, but that safest social media platform, like you say, it's a you know, 20 years ago, call it a mission statement. Now I think it, it's just a good North Star. And like you say, there's there's many different elements within that. But what it does, it just helps. We have a couple of them. So safest social media platform and being creator first. Mm-hmm. And in we're not a startup anymore. We are a very established business. Um, we've had to grow very quickly over a short number of years, but there's lots of routes in front of us now. It's quite embryonic in kind of the next steps we can take. So to have those North stars of, will it make us, will it help us continue to be the safest social media platform or strive to be the safest social media platform? Because it, it's a very subjective measure. There's no league table that you right. can look at um, or no no one league table there's a few things you can look at um and you know is this option creator first it it does cut out a lot of options because it, it just brings you back to that core purpose of the site you know we're we're here for the creators we our earnings is linked inextricably to the creator's earnings mm-hmm. we're not trying to you know take that and I know this is a hot topic on your podcast and I don't want to annoy any of the, the listeners, but we don't want to take a lot of the embedded finance 
monetization routes um because don't want to don't want to no yes yeah. well this is one of the things i wanted to ask you about actually because we we started to have that conversation a little bit about vegas and mm. it was yeah it's very it seems like you keenly don't so i'd love to get into that yeah i mean it's again looking at the north star of being creator first what that does it means if we don't take these additional monetization options that you know various forms of embedded finance or, or whatever mm-hmm. it is could give you if you it doesn't take your eye off your key target which is the creator you know we we want to empower the creators we want the creators to be successful and we want to put them in their limelight it's their content we're just supporting them by giving them a platform giving them the safe space and giving them the payment options and monetization ability we don't want to muddy that. We want to keep that true to our cause. And you can go down various different tangents and you know, we want to stay completely focused on on the creator's earnings. And mm. it's very simple for every you know, $4 the creators earn, we earn one or, or flip it on its head. And you know, the, the numbers speak to themselves. We announced in, in Vegas last year, 10 billion earned on the site by creators is, you know, when I joined the business in 2019, if you'd said in four years time, <laughs> that figure there will turn into 10 billion. I, there's no way I'd have believed it. Really? Well, I joined the platform. You know, I guess that's a bit of a story. Um, obviously working in a listed business, reputable manufacturing company, technology company, listed on the stock market, growing the finance team, needed a new challenge, wanted to turn, wanted the role where finance was an operation rather than just a cost center. Uh, or value add rather than cost center. You saw this opportunity, took the interviews, went back and forth. But if you Googled OnlyFans four years ago to figure out what it is and what it does, the search results were different uh, to what they are now. And uh, yeah, it took a while to to make that decision. Um, How did you make that decision? with a lot of time. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a few interviews, um, offered the job counter offered by the, the current company I was at, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And, and really it was kind of, I saw the potential for paid social media to be the next thing. So go back four years ago, you know, I don't think Patreon was very well known. You know, it is very much still influencer yeah. economy rather than creator economy. Yeah. Um, but, the use of social media was so big in everyone's life. Everyone was using it. It's, it's everywhere. I could see it was going to plateau or, you know, it can't just keep going in its current form. There's going to be another iteration of it. And it wasn't a proven concept, but you know, I could, I could see, or I thought I could see the the potential in it, but you know, it was a startup company. I was going to be the eighth person in the business. There was no finance department. It was, it was growing at that stage, but it wasn't anywhere near the size it is now, obviously. Um, was so. the f- a question that I'm, I've always wanted to ask, but also I try, I, I kind of try to avoid some of these subjects just because I think they're overly discussed about OnlyFans. In the early days, was that, was adult content, was that the, not the focus or is this just like the natural use case that kind of developed there? It was, it was always designed as a, as a bolt on to social media to monetize. So the the original thought was monetization tool. Yeah. That was the plan. And that's why in the early days it did look very much like Instagram in its kind of UX um, because it was designed to kind of replicate it, but 
have the monetization ability. Mm-hmm. I think like we said in, in Vegas on stage, we were always built for creators to monetize yeah. rather than build followings, add revenue, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it was taken up by uh, you know, the adult industry about a year in when creators realized that they could earn 80% yeah, an industry revenue. that was absolutely just taking advantage of everybody inside exactly. of it and actually, yeah, flip it on its head. And that makes a lot of sense, actually. And it's not even the earnings. It was the ability to control what they did mm. when they did it. You know, it was free choice. Yeah. They had complete control and they, they did only what they were comfortable with doing. And yeah. um, it was such a, it, it took off so quickly in that space because... I think the status quo of, of where it was was so different to what was on offer on OnlyFans. And that's why it, you know, it exploded in growth in, in that area. But it's always been um, content agnostic. It's always been, if you have yeah. something, I had a conversation in, in my gym um, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to one of the trainers and like, oh, well, like, what other things can you, can you do? I said, like, well, <laughs> anything you've got <laughs> you've got clients um and there's you know, this is a crossfit gym and there's so much technique involved in the movement and i've heard them say about you know oh, we want to try to do some instructional courses and it's well, take the video put it to the members of the gym that they can subscribe for whatever amount and get this additional use from you guys like yeah. it it can be completely agnostic to anything yeah and i think the fact it took off so big in that adult space helped shape our safety controls. Hmm. So it, there needed to be a lot more focus on it. So we had to build out the the controls and the processes in place. And, and it's, fascinating. it's formed a much better product at the end of it. That's really interesting to think about. If, if you can do- dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. You I heard know? you say that on another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I, God, reference. am I saying that on multiple <laughs> podcasts? <laughs> What is the movie he quotes the most? Dodgeball. <laughs> I mean, there's a fair quote, fair few quotes out of it. I mean, it, it is though, right? In some ways, I mean, the if if you can protect for the adult industry and if you can protect for specifically alienation of children or whatever it is in that specific realm, you can protect for anything, right? And that that's that's absolutely fascinating. But it wasn't the, the, the it challenge wasn't, is the way. The challenge is what? The challenge is the way, you know, that kind of yeah. stoic theory of, you know. Oh, that's the British version. Yeah. Way of the obstacle is the way Obstacles in the US. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I knew what you meant, kind of. It's like the white Americano. You, every time I order a coffee over here, they're like, would you want it white? And I'm like, that's a, just a racist question. You know, like, what are you guys doing over here? Anyway. Um, so it wasn't like that. That wasn't that was finding product market fit almost because there was a group that very clearly would benefit from this product product market fit was found off to the races and then as a result of that this brand perception kind of came to be because of a lot of things but also like sex sells and i guess that kind of makes sense and i think there's an element of when you're in a business that's growing so quickly your focus is on scaling internally to meet the the growth that's that's happening and right. you, you know that was definitely the priority and I think when when we took over the director roles and the executive roles in um, December twenty one, Jan twenty two, um, you know we want we very quickly realised that 
A, we wanted to run the safest social media platform. We wanted that to be the North Star that we that we constantly strive towards. And yeah, you know, we can never say that we got there because it it's a continual moving target. Like technology evolves and we want to stay at the forefront of of everything in safety. And I think we've got a very unique approach, which is you know, human led rather than kind of trying to rely on algorithms, um, which I think is a great strength. But you think that'll ever change? No. I don't think it can. Because no. I think context is everything. Hmm. And I think algorithms will get you so far. But I think you need a human brain and a human set of eyes to look at something and understand the the context. You know, there's there's various funny examples. I guess maybe the cleaner one is... On, on, <laughs> I don't want the cleaner one, but all right, fine. Give me the cleaner one, fine. But on Halloween, for example, when people are wearing fake blood, you know, the rule is we can't have blood on, on the site. But on Halloween, when someone's dressed up as, you know, Dracula or sure. whatever, or if they've got knives on their fingers and we don't allow weapons on the site, you know, there's a certain, you can't really teach uh, an algorithm or we don't think we, we choose to make it yeah. human moderated. Uh, Do you have, I don't, I don't know about some of those. I feel like I've come, I've become so obsessed with like the onboarding piece mm -hmm. of OnlyFans that I don't know a ton about the, the latter pieces or as what you just said, true in terms of like not allowing for blood, those sorts of things? Yeah. So the KYC is a huge strength of ours. Um, you know, we, we've chatted before on how it compares to or, or maybe surpasses kind of bank KYC. Not, not maybe, not maybe. It surpasses bank KYC by a long it's shot. Powerful. Someone I've else says been it able to get fucking, I could have gotten 400 bank accounts in the time that it took me to get the OnlyFans account. And that was as I was WhatsApping you like, hey, how long does this normally take? <laughs> like, all these different questions. Like it's, it's not even close. I mean, to the point where at some point I wonder if you guys will be just absolutely forced to white label it or something it's i mean it's been mentioned before i think um we're not intentionally trying to make it hard just to make it hard we oh, want sure. it to be a, a seamless journey but there's as it's almost like a bouncer on the door like if you're trying to keep the club safe one of the first things you can do is just make sure the people entering our community and we see it as a community we see that as our strength you know we've got 200, over 220 million users, over 3 million creators. Like that's a strong community that we've built. That's fucking crazy. And you can't replicate community either. So we, our focus is on keeping them safe. So mm -hmm. step one is making sure people coming in and it, it simply boils down to, we need to know who they are and we need to be sure they're going to be a good actor on, you know, in the, in the community. Um, and that's why there's, you know, various steps of onboarding, which, which you've seen yourself. Yeah. Um, and I, because I didn't have social media handle at that time <laughs> other than LinkedIn because I'm a nerd. Um, but into the content moderation, which is like the, the, the core of it um, and that middle piece before you get to the anti-money laundering piece on the, on the back end. But that content moderation is, is so important um, to keep the community safe. And I think different platforms go about it in different ways we wanted to retain an element of control over it. And that kind of the context of the, the content is so important. So what we employ is this software assisted human led approach. So we have all of the state of the art software that can pre-screen uh, content before it comes on to make sure that anything obvious gets knocked off straight away and doesn't come onto the platform. Is that kind of initial so force like as build. it's being uploaded almost yeah. or more than almost as it's being uploaded. Okay. So we've got that pre-screen element where we do rely on the software to go, you know, 
big red flag. Don't yeah. don't allow on the site, so it keeps it super safe. But then the software flips to a uh, almost an advisory for the human moderator. You know, because we don't allow weapons, we like to monitor. You know, if there is or isn't nudity. Um, mm-hmm. it, how many participants or how many people are are, are in this picture or, or video? So, kind of key risk flags that it will then the the moderator will look at the the image and it'll say, okay, software says there could be a weapon here. I'm going to look at it myself from a completely subjective standpoint, but I know that the um, software has flagged this, so I'll, I'll have it in my head when I look at it. Does it comply with OnlyFans terms of service? Um, yeah, okay. One of the I used the the weapons at Halloween, but one of the the, the funnier uh, or or less clean <laughs> is um, so through OFTV, which we can jump into yeah. a bit later on, and especially in things like comedy. But um, in OFTV, we put on a, a show. Uh, we put eight creators. Um, think the Simple Life of Paris Hilton. We put <laughs> eight creators on a Jersey farm. Uh, so an island just off the coast of the UK. Uh, or just coast of England, um, put them on a, a dairy farm, cow farm, uh, where the creator is actually um, a dairy farmer and owns the farm. It was on Country File in the UK, which if there's anyone in the UK listens to this, will know it's like an established BBC seven o'clock Sunday evening okay. program. Um, so put them on the farm to, you know, clean up after cows, basically, and live <laughs> live a, a hard farmer's life. Sure. And, capture it for OnlyFans TV yeah. and a bit of self-produced content to, you know, again, put our creators in the limelight, but also just show another side of, of OnlyFans. And obviously, if you're mucking out cows, there's a lot of um, excrement that you have to deal with or see on on the content. And yeah, it's a lot of shit to deal with. E- exactly, yeah, yeah, to put it that way. Um, same thing, different day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but as a rule, that content isn't allowed on OnlyFans. So the human moderator saw the flag to say this isn't allowed and they go, yeah, well, that's there. So I'll deactivate the content. So wow. then the creators that we had put on the farm and paid for that excrement to be, to be <laughs> <laughs> cleaned around. And I paid for this shit. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. Um, so they were contacting us saying, well, why is this why is this content from the show that you produce being taken down? And it was because, you know, there was a, there was a rule in place that the content moderators adhered to. And, you know, as a director of the company, I was quite happy that, you know, the rules were being complied with, but at the same time we paid for that excrement. So <laughs> that, that's okay. So, but again, it's context that comes back to context. Yeah. So um, I think it's a, it will, it should always be human led and we will always invest in enough people to do that, you know, and the content's reviewed within 24 hours maximum of going live and it's done on a priority basis as well. So if you and I just took a selfie right here, the, I'm sure the software wouldn't flag too many red flags or, on just you and me. I mean, maybe. No, there's no cameras in here. The listeners don't know what we're wearing. This, but. Is, this is true. Um, I was worried when you said you were going to video this. <laughs> I just didn't have the energy after the past few days. I didn't even bring the That's camera. Fine. That's fine. Um, but so something like this would be quite low um, priority. Mm-hmm. So maybe closer to the 24 hour mark, maybe 16 hours. Whereas, you know, if we were in a different setting or context, then that would bump it higher up the priority queue. Then it'd be looked at you know, in, in a couple of hours. So we'd always keep it human moderated. We always need the software to help those human moderators. But I think that's our key strength that we 
we are constantly learning, constantly employing more people to do that job ourselves, as opposed to relying on an algorithm, which could be flawed or not yeah. see the context. So I have one question about the, um, the weapons piece. So if I was doing like a, a gun safety only fans, would that be allowed? Again, it's context. Okay. So it's all, it really is all about context. It's about if I was coming at it from a violent manner, then it would be considered different than if I was doing it from a kind of educational manner or something along those lines. And this is the, the area that Keely lives in. Okay. You know, this is her navigating those gray areas um oh, philosophical kind of debates in your own head i can only imagine yeah yeah so it's not something i'm i i get super involved in but i'm reassured when we have these kind of funny examples that come through that we're um you know very hot on on sticking to the terms of service because yeah. again if you go back to that community and keeping the community safe we've done a lot of things to keep the, to make sure the community is populated by good actors and genuine people. Um, yeah, and that even flips back to, we know who everyone is on the site. Right. So if you go back to that North Star of safest social media platform, and this maybe you know, kind of too philosophical, but imagine an internet where you know exactly who everyone is. There's hmm. no anonymity. And so you, you have to, it, how do I explain this? People put things online that if they stop someone in the street, there's no way they would make those comments or, or say those things. Mm -hmm. On OnlyFans, even to be a user, even to be a fan, right? You need to put your know, card details in, even if it's just a, for a free subscription. Yeah, because ultimately, that uh, satisfies some sa uh, safety elements for us as well in terms of hmm. onboarding and, and keeping the community safe. But if you've given up your identification and you're paying money to follow people you're genuinely a fan of, the chances of trolling, online abuse in those areas are so much more reduced. And it's the worst place to, you know, do anything nefarious because we the identity's gone. We know who you are. We know where everything is. Um and yeah, online safety, social media. Well, and, and fine. I think the other part about it that's really interesting to me that, that you and I talk about sometimes, but I don't think we've had a chance to like really get into on stage or publicly is the financial perception, right? The, the financial perception of, I, I don't even, I guess I, maybe you need to explain this to me, but what is the perceived risk in partnering with you all as a bank or as a payment processor or as is it, it to me, it seems truly to just be, well, what I just said, perceived risk based on this idea that adult content is all that's happening. Is that what it comes down to? And is that kind of how you end up in the, because I would think of you as being compared to a Facebook or a Twitter or something like that, not the adult content sites, but it sounds like based on where conversations maybe were a few years ago with payment processors, that's not how they looked at you. So where is that where the perceived, is that where the risk comes from? Is just sheer perception or how does it end up in that code basically in terms of chargebacks and everything else it'd be an interesting conversation to bring in maybe like an mlro of, of a yeah name big bank here yeah. um to to get the answer to that question um it all comes back down to that evolution of the, the payment network so yeah you know when i joined in 2019 it's very manual you know keying payments individually to to creators and you know 
Well, there was, there was a lot of problems with scalability. And that's one of the things I was brought in to do is kind of scale and build the, the payment network. And that's wild. Yeah, it was a different time. Um, and we we had a lot of questions early on that we had to answer. You have very simple, like, how are we going to collect payments from fans? Mm-hmm. How are we going to, what account are we going to settle those funds in? Even if a payment processor will process and acquire it, where are they going to settle? Who's right. going to hold that USD, especially in the UK, UK company, you know, our, our currency is GDP. Yeah. If you start. And you were international off the bat, or at least definitely international by the time you joined. Yeah, yeah in, enabled internationally, obviously grew initially in the UK, but um, international very quick. So the currency on the site has always been USD. And there's a simplicity in there that that helps a lot of things. But it's it's a different risk prospect to a financial institution to hold USD for a UK company over over GBP because you have to get correspondent banks involved mm. and there's a whole different landscape and, and sign off. So you know those early questions of just collecting, holding, paying were we had to navigate. And like you said, it's that was probably the most difficult time because the volumes were high and they were growing. But at the same time, the brand perception was probably at its lowest, almost misunderstood. Yeah. And, you know. Oof. <laughs> That's wild, it, man. <laughs> but fast forward to today. Right. And, you know, we're in a position where we've got a lot of payment partners. We have a lot of different options. We have a lot of um, um, contingencies um, to to really ensure continuity to creators, because one of the main things that creators want from us is, you know, getting their earnings quickly and reliably. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a key focus, especially for my team and, and especially for me. So, but that comes through building those partnerships, breaking down those barriers um, of that initial, oh, I, I know what OnlyFans right. is, therefore, um, thanks, but no thanks you know, for the people that were willing to listen, working with them, understand their point of view, understand where they're coming from in their risk and what they have to go through and working with them to help them understand who we are, what we do, how we manage our risk, how we mitigate um, potential risks in our business uh, and the, all those key strengths of ours. So it it's not an easy process. It's not like going down to a, a local bank and signing up and, and just operating as a business. It's taken a lot more, but you know, I didn't have payment network experience before I started here. And it's been a very consistent thing in my career where I've kind of, and I hadn't quite realized until maybe I was doing some prep before this podcast, <laughs> but it's been very much a learn by doing career. So, you know, I didn't go to university um, to learn the theory about things. Wait, at all or? No. No shitly. No. We skipped over that part. We, yeah, we may have missed that bit. What the fuck, dude? I didn't know that. That's no. insane. That's wild to be in the position you're in. I mean, like, I guess I know a lot of like self-taught computer scientists, but I think you're the first CFO that I've met. That, that's wild, dude. How, well, continue. I just didn't, I didn't know that. No, I mean, it's probably a bit to kind of focus on um, because the common route these days is uh, these will be different um, names than for you, but for in England, it's kind of high school, college, or one of the same thing, depending on where you go. And then you just have to go to university and that kind of hardworking, go and earn your money kind of mindset and background that was set fairly early on that will, I've already learned quite a lot of business and finance in college. 
and I've looked at the degree in accounts and finance and business or whatever it is. And there's not a great deal more here. Okay. There's an extensions of, but it could be four wasted years. Um, Sleigh bells ringing outside. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas is over, y'all. It's a few weeks past. Um, so, you know, I could go to university for four years, learn possibly some more things, rack up a fair amount of debt right. and then get into work. And I was very keen to learn by doing and learn from people. Um, so I was given some advice that you could become uh, a, you're the same professional, you're like CPA in your world, ACA uh, in my world um, or country. Um, going, different worlds. Different worlds, yeah. <laughs> um, by going through an apprenticeship route. So I wrote a letter to like 40 local mid-tier firms with a CV which had nothing on it apart from my kind of Saturday job in a supermarket and my weekday job in a telemarketing company whilst going through college. And your paper route, yeah. Yeah, and my paper route. <laughs> yeah, there's no references from that, funnily enough. Um, and yeah, luckily, I think there was a week where I was just getting really nice of them to send a letter saying thanks, but no thanks, but a week of just rejection. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, which was great. Um, and then I got two interviews, um, got offered both the jobs and, and there was a good size mid-tier firm that I went to, worked through the apprenticeship. And you know, you're 17 years old, going out and auditing these CFOs of large businesses. And to me, that was a crash course. That was like an acceleration of learning of just day-to-day -day business, how to communicate, learning about real world situations. And that four years I did there and qualified. So I had my professional qualification at 22. At that age, I'd have just left university mm -hmm. and started the path to doing the four years to get my professional exams. So I qualified at 22 rather than 26 or 27. Um, and that just, that mindset of, okay, I'll learn something by embedding myself in it and just experiencing it. You know, I then moved out pretty quick to a, um, a small company, 5 million turnover where like it was owner managed and they were a great, um, salesperson in what they did, but not necessarily in business strategy and finance. So essentially ran that company for two years to help it stay afloat. And it's that kind of getting in and kind of learning and doing. Um, so coming into this company, having to go the hard routes, difficult relationship building conversations to learn the ins and outs of, actually, I need to know how you operate and you work to understand what's going to help you appease your, you know, risk compliance or what are you worried about? How does it operate? So I can shape what we do yeah. to best suit it. You know, that again was an ex accelerated learning curve in, in the payment space for me. So it was just, I hadn't really made the links before about the kind of learning by doing um, bit, but yeah, it happened here as well. That is fucking wild. And as you heard from the beep, I think you have a meeting in 10 minutes. And I, I, I cancelled that actually. Just oh, did I thought, you? I, I thought we would overrun. So Hold on, let me see if I... Uh, let's cut it here. We'll have episode two next time you and I are in the same same <laughs> city together. A teaser for episode a two. A teaser for episode two, indeed. We at, least, we at least got an hour in. We at least got an hour in. Um, well, I was going to thank you off, uh, off the, the, this thing, this microphone thing staring at me, but so that listeners don't think I'm a total dickhead. Uh, thank you, Lee. Always appreciate your time, my friend. Uh, thanks for having me on. Can I just have one, one Mr. Zach? Mr. Zach. Oh, gets me <laughs> going. All right. 
Thanks for joining the conversation, everybody. Hope you enjoyed our time with Lee Taylor. Jump in them show notes for more info on Lee and OnlyFans. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and all the other things I'm supposed to remind you to do in your favorite podcast app. And if you want our weekly emails, go to forfintechsake.com and subscribe there. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and the emails aren't really that weekly. <laughs>